Welcome to the Love Life Church podcast, and thank you for checking us out. We love God, love people, and love life, and we hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. We look at compromise, and I'm talking about no compromise, and and if you're married, that's not talking to you right now. Because when you get married, you understand it is life of compromise. But it's in a good way, right? It, we're talking compromise in the right way. So we're not talking about the negative one or the one that will hurt you, but we're talking about one that's beneficial. If you, how many of you have a, a close friend, a real best friend type person in your life? Okay, man, what's wrong with you guys? You guys don't have friends out there? Man, you need some. I need to do a different message. He who wants friends must show themselves friendly, the Bible says. But the thing is, is even in that that relationship, a close friend, you have compromise going on. I'll tell you what, if you ain't compromising in a friendship, you're being a slave to someone. They're telling you this is what we do and you're just doing whatever they do and you don't get to choose. Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, that, how can that, that's not a friendship. That's not a relationship. So we look at the compromise and see that there are beneficial times of compromise. Definition in the um, uh, dictionary, an agreement or a settlement of a dispute that is reached by each side making concessions. That's a, that's a good statement, right? So you, it's sort of the times when you have to say, let, let, let's, let's look at how we can fix this with both giving up something. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean everything and all the time and it must, there must be compromise and everything. I'm not saying that. There are times when you know this is the right thing to do and you do it. There's no compromise in it. And so when we look at the word compromise as far as what does the Bible teach us about it, it is filled with different pictures and stories of, of people that don't compromise and people that do compromise, and people that don't compromise and do compromise in their life. And you see story after story, you see men and women walking a life of no compromise. And then you see men and women compromising. So it's, it's very interesting to see this and to be, and be able to know that the Bible shows us this type of lifestyle. What does that mean? It means it's available. We can do it. I mean, what was the first thing Satan did when he came and attacked and tempted Jesus? When you look at that, his first statement was, if you just do this once, do this one thing once. That's all I'm asking. Do this one thing once. And Jesus' attitude is, is I ain't compromising for you. I'm not going to compromise for you. So if he's going to be tempted to compromise Aren't you? You certainly are. Everybody in here. We need to have victory in that area of compromise, do we not? Because if we don't, the life lived is a life that's miserable. And, and God doesn't want you to live a miserable life, does he? No. For God so loved the world that he gave his son to, through those who would believe would have everlasting life and a miserable one. You know the scripture. No. God wants us free. Amen. The Bible definition means this. To make concessions or accommodations for someone. Look at this. 
for someone who does not agree with a certain set of standards or rules. So you're compromising your life for them, what they believe. Isn't that interesting? It also is to put aside a certain set of standard or rules to appease your old nature. You're compromising. Now, I don't want to get into the, the, the negative aspects of what compromise does because it, it produces destruction all the time. Not some of the time, all the time. The problem is, is in compromise, the Bible teaches it as a little leaven. Compromise takes a process of destruction, but ultimately it does destroy. I have been doing this for a while now. I have been doing this for quite a while now. And I can tell you right now, in all the years of being a pastor, I've seen families, I've seen men, I've seen couples compromise. And I've seen what it does. And I can tell you right now, never, never does it benefit their life, ever. And I've seen what it does to their children. And I tell you what happens all the time. Ultimately, the children that come to the building leave the building. Sometimes, all the time. The compromise is an action that shows something more than your words. Don't you, don't you smoke or drink, little Jimmy, while you're holding your can of Budweiser and smoking a cigarette. Guess what? You lost that kid. You can say don't all you want. You lost them. And we don't want to think that way, and we literally con ourselves or deceive ourselves in thinking it won't happen to ours. I can tell you right now, I guarantee you, yes, it will. I've seen it. And guess what? The Bible is backing up what I just said. So what is our responsibility? Be responsible. Don't compromise. Because you will end up like all compromised Christians to when something happens in someone's life, they won't run to you. You're the phony. You're the fake. You're the one that will do what the world does because you want to be like them. And it, and it robs you of what God wants for you, and that is to live a life where you are able to influence people out of negative, not gather, to the, in, gather in with them in things that destroy life. And I'm not, here, I'm not gonna preach on stuff and what stuff does or does not because everybody in here is grown-ups. You already know what destroys lives. You know, you can look at drugs, alcohol, you can all look at that. You are not gonna see statistics of, this is a good thing, go for it. Never, never. So, you know, be wise in your life or what Proverbs says, be a fool. And I'd rather do things through the lies of wisdom and recognize if I do dumb and I act a fool, it's not because I am one, it's because I made a mistake and I'm gonna fix it, amen? Because you can, you can do the fool, but I don't wanna be the fool, amen? The fool is a compromising Christian. And so what we need to do is recognize, listen, we're not perfect. I, I just said there are people in here that live the life of no compromise, Abraham, and then he compromised Abraham. So, but he's still the father of our faith. So what does that mean? There are going to be times when you screw up. There's going to be times when you've, you've had a pattern of compromise, and then you realize, this is not what I want for my family. I don't want it for me. I don't want this for my life at all. When I became Papa, 
I made, I made a vow that I was not going to do what my old life dictate or how my parents raised me. And that means I had to make conscious decisions of what I was and was I, what I was not going to do. And I didn't want to ever be in the position of life where my kids were doing stuff because I did it. If they do something wrong, it's on them, not because of their papa. I said, not because of their papa. If they do something wrong, it's all on them. You guys hear me, dads? Because I know by the spirit of God in here, I know that I'm talking to a few of you right now. Now, you can hear one ear out the other and be a statistic. Or you can say, you know what? Enough's enough. I want to live the right way. Amen? I want to live the right way. I want to do the right thing. And if you're a dad, which I'm talking to right now, and a mom, you're not single. You have responsibility. This ain't about you. All right, moving right along. 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time is going to come, and it is here, when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they're going to accumulate to themselves teachers who suit their own passions, compromise. And I'm seeing this in churches. I'm hearing it in messages. I'm telling you right now, this, this especially after the past few years of, of certain groups that have risen up um, and, and, and proclaimed so many things where churches were bowing to them, compromising, and not following through with what does the word say? What does the word say for us to be, for us to do? We're to love everyone. No group higher than another. We're to love everyone, just like the Bible says. For God's love of the world, we're to love as well. And that doesn't mean we accept way people act or do, but we are to love people. And I can tell you right now, there isn't everybody, anybody in here 24-7, seven days a week, you're perfect. So no one can look at anyone except Jesus and say they're perfect or they're at a level near perfection. No one. But we're to love one another. Amen? I didn't say like. I said love. Just so you hear that. Okay? So it says when you compromise, you turn away from listening to the truth. I can tell you right now, people that have compromised lives, right now, some of you in here, you are right now trying to block out. That's the flesh. The flesh doesn't want to hear about this message. And it's sad. And even though they're hearing me say this, they're still, it's like, and that's the flesh, the power of the flesh. And I want you to be in a life of victory. Because the ultimate play in the flesh owning you is destruction. It's never going to be good. And please hear me because I've, I've had the, the laughing in the, in the mind people in church. And ultimately, the truth plays out and they have destruction. I never say I told you so because they've heard it. They already know. But I can tell you right now, statistically, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. 
if you continue down a path of compromise. And it's a sad thing. It's a very sad thing. I just don't want love life to live that way. Amen. The Bible says in Psalms 119.3, joyful are those who do not compromise with evil. They walk in God's path. I can tell you right now, God wants us to be the light and salt of the earth. That means we are to be in and around people. But there's no in scripture that you are ever going to see that that means compromise so that you can win some. That's not scriptural. When you start becoming like the world or, or becoming like the, quote, religious people that you're trying to bring into truth, you compromise with them. You lose testimony. Why? Because you're, you're establishing that their lives, and you know they're not walking right, are acceptable. So you can't be that person to lead them out because you want to be like them. Why? That's what the flesh wants. Amen? That nature wants that. And the quicker you go, you know what? That nature, ah, bad nature. It's like crazy, isn't it? But it's there. That's why you got to put it off and put on the new. Make a decision today. Make a decision today. Now, just to get to, let me get you, I, I just want peace in some of your lives. Don't bang on yourself or don't trash yourself. Just change. Just stop. Just change isn't change until it's changed. I believe the greatest testimony is to be able to stand before someone after you've been doing things you know you shouldn't be doing and say, you know what? I want to apologize. And I'm talking about my life, not yours. I want to apologize because what I've been doing is a compromise in what I truly believe. And I blew it with you. And I want you to please forgive me. And they're going to go, well, I forgive you. There's nothing to forgive. You're going to just say, that's just all I'm asking. I just want you to know, I recognize it. For me personally, this ain't the life I want to live, but I love you. And, and you do what you do, but I'm not going to join you. I'm going to, I'll be a, a representative of Jesus. I'm going to, I don't have to say that, but what I'm saying is you can be the person that you still can carry on that connection, that friendship. A lot of you people work with people that either are religious or don't know Jesus, but you don't want to separate yourself from them. We don't believe that. We don't believe Bible teaches that, but we also understand there are times when, Hey, you didn't take the stand. You know what Joshua did? He said, Hey, you got all these awesome things right now in your life, Israel. I want you to understand something. There are idols. There are people out there that are going to bring you down. He goes, but for me and my house, I'm focused. We will serve the Lord. He says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to bow to any other idol. I'm not going to bow to any other God out there. I'm not going to bow to any drug. I'm not going to bow to any alcohol. I'm not going to bow to it. I'm going to take a stand and say, this is how we live. Amen. And that's what you do. You do it that way and it's all good. So in the Bible, it talks about, there's some specific things that are very intense uh, concerning the area of compromise. And uh, if you've ever read Le Revelation, which is an awesome book to read, I'm just kidding. But um, Revelation talks about the churches, seven churches that Jesus is, talking to. And he's talking about these churches that are going on, and these are the main churches that are carrying the gospel. But he's talking to them. 
the pastor, he says to the angel of the church or messenger, and actually in the Greek, it's, it's literally meaning to the pastor of the church, and then he talks to them. He talks to the pastor, and then he talks to the church. And he explains to them uh, what's going on in their lives and what needs to change. But he also builds them up and lifts them up for the good things they're doing. And that's how God works. God is going to say, man, you are awesome in here, but this area over here you need to fix. And that's a good papa. That's a good mom. Amen. You're going to build, you're going to lift them up, but you also have to correct, right? Sometimes you have to reprove them. You, sometimes you have to rebuke, say, that, stop it now, you know, that's bad. So we understand that, okay? So here we go on to Revelation, it's, it's um, chapter two. He talks to the church at Ephesus and Thyatira, and then we're going to look at Pergamos. And so in the, in the churches, he starts with Ephesus and Thyatira, and he goes to Pergamos. When he talks to Ephesus, he, 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 he emphasizes that you're very, very, very judgmental on the bad things. You're, if it's wrong doctrine, you are quick to judge. If it's wrong action, quick to judge. He said, but you're very weak in love. That's what he said. Now, the Ephesus church was the church that probably received some of the greatest revelation from Paul of all the churches. I mean, this church was able to grasp the truths that Ephesus teaches, which is very, very impacting, especially as the new creation, the new you. And it's an amazing, it's my favorite out of all the books, like Ephesus and then Romans, probably second. But when Jesus is talking to the pastor in the church, he says, listen, you're strong in keeping false doctrine out. He goes, but man, your love walk is, is, is getting bad. How many have seen that? Judgmental Christians are always lacking in love. Always. The ones that are able to say this and point, always lacking in love. Then Thyatira was the complete opposite. He said, you walk a strong love walk. But you let anybody teach whatever they want. You don't, you don't judge it. You just, they bring in a doctor and you're like going, oh, that's so special. <laughs> that's just a special. There's more than one way to Jesus. Sometimes you can get to heaven through Satan. Oh, that's so special. We love you. We love, isn't that crazy? And that was Thyatira. Not that they, they believe that way. I'm just saying I was, I was getting, you know, facetious. What I'm saying is, is both of them went to the extreme extreme in the love walk with no position of that's not the right doctrine. That's wrong to that's wrong. That's wrong. And no love walk. And remember scripture says, speak the truth in love. Amen. Speak the truth in love. So our responsibility is be truthful, but operate always with love. Amen. Are y'all with me? All right. So both were extreme and both were overly judgmental on either point. And we're going to move into now the, the church we're going to study. In, um, in Pergamos, to the angel of the Lord, Revelation 2.12, I write these things. It says, he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works. Now listen to this. And where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. 
Jesus is saying Pergamos is where Satan's throne is. That, that has to be worse than Sin City, right? Right? All right. Now, I, I just said Sin City being Las Vegas, and that doesn't mean that if you go to Las Vegas, you're a sinner. That's based upon what you do in Sin City. The point is, is this place was nasty of nasties. And I'm not talking about, you know, some downtown rundown, you know, ugly, you know, prostitutes walking the street. I'm talking about this city was the main city of worshiping gods and goddesses. It was the main place with so many different temples. Uh, it was the place where the god Zeus, his statue was, was standing above all. I'm telling you, all this stuff was going in this city. And it was constant, constant in sacrifice and worship to all these different gods. And when people wanted to get a god on their side, they all would go to Pergamos, okay? And so this is what you need to see because you're, you're a traveler, you're going to see this beautiful, it was a beautiful, beautiful, massive city. And so they were going there for that specific purpose, as well as the, the Roman Empire. That's, it was their main place of worship for the higher ups in the Roman army. So this is, again, this is filled with everything that would not be acceptable to God. But that's what this city was. Y'all got that now? That's the picture of this. All right. So he says in the, oh, did you just hear what I said about this city? Isn't that the, it's just nasty. And what does God do? Raises up a church in that city. Woohoo! Is that powerful? I just want to stop there because that is the message of grace. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. I'm telling you, God didn't run away from that. Come on, Christians, run, run away, run away. He said, Mal, let's build a church here. Let's build a church here. And that, those are some of the things that you don't really think of. I know religious people get mad at that kind of stuff. I remember years ago, and in, in before I was one of youth pastor, I remember uh, hearing leaders say that San Francisco, there shouldn't be a church there. Everybody should leave that place and God's judgment drop on it. And I remember people talking that way. And I thought, and I'm not even, I, I didn't know much about the Bible, but my first thought was, is, well, don't they need Jesus? Who's going to give them Jesus? That's what my thoughts were. Now, I didn't talk about them because I was just a noob in the church. I wasn't religious. I wasn't brought up in church stuff. But when I got saved, you know, I'm, I'm just listening, following everybody. But when I heard that, I thought, that doesn't sound right. Doesn't sound right. Now, I didn't have the Bible understanding or the scriptures to back up how I felt. But inside, I just felt, you know, that's not right. Now, they are messed up people in a lot of different cities. But the thing is, is he, he, taking the light and salt out of it is not why God sent Jesus, right? All right. So I'm not asking you all to move to San Francisco, all right? We called here, so we're going to do it here, amen? But he said, I know your works and where you dwell where Satan's throne is. Can you hear the church going, yes, amen, brother. Yes, pastor, this is his throne. 
Yeah, yeah, even in my neighborhood, it's nasty. And he says, and you hold fast to my name. You don't deny my, you don't deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Now, Antipas, we don't know a lot about him. Most um, think that, uh, I mean, the story, I guess, is, is that they burned him in a, in, in a massive uh, bronze bull, stuck him inside and burned him alive. And that's how he was the pastor of that church at that time. And they didn't run. They didn't leave. Can you imagine that? Man, can you imagine, honestly, a church here in the U.S. doing that? No, I believe most people are going to run. I mean, it's sad. I love life, but, you know, and I'm not going to get burned in a bronze bull. So don't worry about it. All right. But, the, I mean, that's, the, that's what, you know, commentaries talk about and stuff like that. But he does say where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Now, here goes God. He goes, man, you've been faithful. I, I mean, think about it. You're the church going. All hell's breaking loose, but we're standing strong for Jesus. And Jesus goes, man, you are awesome. You know, but I got some stuff against you. And you're like, what? <laughs> I thought we were doing so great. And that's what people think that church is about. We just want to hear, pat me on the back, pat me on the back. Well, I agree with that. But truth still needs to be spoken so that you can go, oh, wait a minute, I need to fix this area. I need to change this. And we, we know better here at Love Life, we don't never preach sin, and we're not going to preach sin. What we're going to do is preach truth, and that always reveals things we need to fix. Amen? There's no purpose to preach sin. It's like, you know, you think that, uh, doing that is going to change <coughs> someone. Point is, is it doesn't. Sin can overcome through a different mindset, and that is a victory mindset. That's the only way you defeat sin. It's the only way. You have to have an identity, an understanding of who you are to be able to overcome. Otherwise, you can never defeat something that you believe belongs to you. And that's why people fail in life. We need to recognize I'm bigger than that. I'm better than that. Amen? That's how you, you create value in yourself. You start making different decisions. Salute. Okay. And it's always, it, it, ultimately, people, just to let you know this, it ultimately always gets down to identity. Your identification in how you see yourself. And when you see yourself in a great light, you treat yourself better. When you see yourself in negative light, you let yourself go. And I believe our job as Love Life, a team, is, is to be people that are always building people up to be better. Amen? To be better. I, I don't, I'm just not going to accept a, a negative life for you. I just don't believe in it. I believe you're better than that, and your value's already been proven. The blood of Jesus was shed for you. So we're not talking about, you know, what we think. We know how much you're worth. I know how much I'm worth. His death for me, Jesus' death for you, you're valuable. You just need to start seeing it. You're looking at your negatives, not the way God sees you, which will change the negatives. Amen? All right. So... He says, 
these are a few things I have because there are those, everybody say there are those. This is important to see. He's talking to the church. He says, but in your church, there are those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. There are those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. The things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those, say have those. Okay, now he's talking to the church. Everybody hear this? And Jesus says, listen, I got a problem because there are some of you in here that are, that are operating in belief of a false doctrine. And now he's going to the other side. And then there are some of you that believe this type of false doctrine. All right. He said, and there are some of you that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans in which I hate. I know people hate to see, you know, they, they want to believe that you should never say hate or say you hate something. And I can understand why people do that, but that's not, it's so unbiblical because God shows areas where he's going to say, I hate this. And that shares, should share something with you as far as scripture. There are things that you should hate. Amen. Now, I'm not saying you can make a massive list of it because I don't believe that's true. But I believe there are certain things that you better hate because it'll destroy your life if you don't have that, that passionate anger, which hate is, to not do that, be that. Amen. So Jesus said, I hate this. I know we just said Jesus said that, and that makes us feel, oh my gosh, poor Jesus talks that way. Yeah, when it comes to destruction of your life, a tool that'll ruin you and destroy you, yeah, he will. He will. Amen? So he says this. He says, the, who, the, there are those in your church that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which thing, which thing I hate. He didn't say, I hate the Nicolaitans, right? right? He said, I hate those Nicolaitans, those bad, bad people. They're very bad, very bad. He didn't say that, did he? No, he said, the doctrine what they believe, this belief, this teaching, I hate it. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? And I'll show you what it is in a minute. He goes, he goes on to say, he says, this thing which I hate, repent. Everybody say repent. Now we know that Greek word does not mean turn from your sin, which that is majority of what Christians believe, which is not true. Does not mean that. Turn your from sin. Don't ever do it again. That's not what the Greek language says. I know a lot of you believe that. You're wrong. You're wrong. It is a position of turning how you think. Turning the process of changing the way you think. And this is exactly what he says. He says, turn your thinking in a different direction. Change how you're thinking about this situation. Are you guys with me? Why? Because see, they're, not, they're not sinning. They've accepted something that they shouldn't have. And now Jesus is saying, listen, I need to change the way you think about this situation. This thing about Balaam and this thing about the Nicolaitans. In your church is going on right now. I want you to change how you think about this. This is, a, listen, when you read this, most pastors, most churches, I hear this, it's all a negative judgmental teaching. What I see here is nothing but grace. I see nothing but grace in the attitude of Jesus 
every single time. He doesn't come in and say, oh, I have this about you and now I'm going to destroy you all. I have this about you and I'm going to kick you out of heaven. Now I got, he never does that. He's always giving them the opportunity and availability to fix things. And that's what I was doing this morning. And when I first started, just fix it. It's, it's not difficult. Fix it. The deception is you believe it is difficult. I'm telling you, it's not. Tell the flesh, the nature to shut up. Say, no, I'm not going to live this way. I'm stopping it right now, right now. And that's the way to win. That's victory. Victory is today. Remember? Religion is, is, well, you've been doing this for so long. What a loser. That's what religion does. We're not going to be that way. The day you change is the day we go, victory we won. Amen? Victory we won. <clears throat> he says, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them. Look what he's doing. He's saying, Jesus is saying, this is so destructive that if you don't take care of this, look at he's doing. I want you guys to take care of this. He goes, if you don't, I'm going to have to do something about this. There's too much people being destroyed because of this instruction, this teaching, which he hates. Amen. He has to, he, he says, I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Against who? Them, not the church, not the church. Them. Everybody say them. So he, he's saying something that's very important. Satan's throne, where Satan dwells. Then he talks about Balaam's doctrine and the doctrine of Nicolaitans. Now, this is so important to see because, again, this church is in the, the, the main, main thoroughfare of Satan's dwelling place, his throne, because of all the things that are happening that are toward him. They might be worshiping, you know, this different God and this one's God and Zeus and all these Jupiter or whatever, but it's actually worshiping him. So no matter what they think they're worshiping, it's all going to him. That's his throne. He's sitting there going, loving every bit of this. And the mention of Satan makes it very important because what's going on. So now in their church, they have these two doctrines. Now, Satan being mentioned is very important because it's literally referencing what the whole thing's really about. The main emphasis of the issue, the issue at hand. And when you see this, you look at, if you look at Isaiah, uh, we call it the five will, I wills of Satan. And the five I wills of Satan are very, very important to see because when it comes down to our personal lives, it's something that everybody in here, everybody, everybody out there, you always need to be paying close attention to. I'll read the five I wills of Satan. Isaiah 14, 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, you guys ready? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the, that's the highest part of the mountain. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, north is always pointing up. Look at the, what he's doing. Everything about his statements, I will send above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most 
high. That's what Satan said. That's what Lucifer promoted in his life. Now think about it. Everything he said about what he wanted was elevation, exaltation. Look at me. Ain't I special? I'm the best one. And just exalt, exalt, exalt. And ultimately, what do we see scripture talking about? Pride. Pride. That's Satan's downfall. And if you look through scripture, it's many people in God's word downfall. Pride. Lifting themselves up. And here he's saying the seat, the throne of Satan is right here in this place. Then he talks about what's going on as far as the belief system. But God says to the devil, yet you say those things, but I'm going to bring you down to hell to the lowest parts of hell. He's saying, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that, I'm going to be that. And God goes, no, nah, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm taking you down to the lowest of lows. And we all go, yeah, amen. We all excited about that, right? He says, I'll take you to the lowest depths of the pit. Pride always, always, it wants to be seen. Pride is always, why do, why do you have to do it? Let someone else, let someone else be seen. Let me, let me, let me show you my guests. My guests need to be seen. You're hindering my gifts, my gifts. God, I've heard this stuff so much. And it's from prideful people. Prideful people. You cannot see scriptural journey or scriptural teaching in the area of leadership that incorporates pride or arrogance. You can't. You can't. It's not there. But you listen to people and they are trying to promote themselves to be seen. You never have to promote yourself to be seen. Do what God's put in your heart. Live the word. And that in itself will promote your life. But if you're looking for promotion as in, I have to have a title, you haven't even read the Bible then. Because that's right. I, this is what happens in their heads. They're going, yeah, I want my gifts, but... They, they need to be, no, no, they don't. Your gift always will make ultimate room for you. Could you imagine if Paul had that attitude? You know, Jesus called me personally. What do you mean 14 years I got to wait? Can you imagine that? But that's a lot of church people. Why? Because religion always talks that way. Always. When you love God, love his word, love his people, you're happy to just do whatever for him. You cannot see my personal journey, no way, no how, impossible, where I was striving for glory, ever. I, I plan on being a youth pastor my whole life. I wasn't even getting paid, people, until later in being a youth pastor, where they said, you move back to Phoenix, we'll pay you. I would never have gone to Phoenix if they didn't pay me. I would have stayed the youth pastor and I get paid and work construction. I, I, mean, I was fine with that. Actually, I was in love with it and I was traveling. I was going on missions every year. It was wonderful. And then all of a sudden, the church that I first went to called me and said, we believe 
you're supposed to be our youth pastor. At that same moment, my brother wanted me to be his best man in his, in his wedding. And they said, we know you're coming. <laughs> this is like a setup, total setup. But see, God knew all this stuff. He goes, just come and meet with us. So I went, came and meet with them. And I, and I listened and, I, and they're saying, we'll pay you and this and that and everything. And, and I'm like going, okay, okay, you know. I never was excited at all. I sit there and I just listened to what they had to say. And I told them, I said, listen, ultimately this is what it comes down to. When I go back, I will tell my pastor and whatever he says, I will submit to you. But I'm going to tell you right now, he's going to want me to stay. Yeah, look where I'm at right now. I go back, talk with him, and he goes, hmm, sounds like God to me. And I literally went, what? What? I don't hear that. And, but it was, I'm, I'm like, now I'm out, out here. It's like, you know, you got a booger on your nose. It's hanging. You're done. It's there. What are you going to do now? You got to do something. And so I'm sitting there like that, and I'm going, he's going, sounds like God. In other words, you got to do what God wants you to do. That's not, you can't stay here. And he didn't say that, but that's what I was reading into the whole thing. And so I moved back here. Not for it to be a pastor and everybody loves me and look at me. To be a youth pastor, what I love to do. And so I just came to Phoenix and impacted youth all over this nation. That's what I was doing for years. And I was fine with that. That's it. I don't care. I don't need to be the main preacher. I don't need to be main nothing. I just want to do what God's called me to do. I'm, I, I made a commitment. I'll do what you want me to do. And that's the journey of mine. And y'all know the story. When he said, you're going to start your own church, I said, <laughs> I didn't say hell no, but I wanted to. I felt like it. Oh, I just said it. Whoops. I'm saying, I don't want to go to hell. That's what I'm saying. Now, the point is, is I was like going, I'm not, I don't want to do that. That's, you know what they they treat those guys bad. I was a youth pastor. They treat me great. Pastors, they hate. They hate pastors. Youth pastors, they love. We're weird, you know? We're just like, cool, whatever. But pastors, man, you like, you got a target on your back. And I seen it. And I seen how destructive it was. And I said, I'm, I don't want to be that. And I said, I'll never be that. And that was dumb, dumb, dumb. But here I am. But again, my journey wasn't, and oh, by the way, and I was a pastor working full-time job. I didn't care. I didn't do this for the money. Are you kidding me? I made more in construction, by the way. Which, that I didn't know. I didn't know the principles, but if I knew the principles, what I know today, I would have never gave up construction. I would have put someone in charge of that and just signed checks and had a construction company. I mean, I'd be rich right now. The church would have some good stuff. But anyway, moving right along. I didn't know, I didn't know you could do that. And then I seen pastors that did do that and I was like going, what did I do that for? But anyway, I learned, learned a lesson there. But the thing is, is when it comes down to our lives, we've got to make sure we don't allow pride into it at all, ever. Don't allow pride in your life because when we look at these two compromising doctrines, this is what impacted that church. In the church of, in Balaam's teachings, it's eat things that are sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. 
Now think about that. Balaam literally is a prophet, not from Israel, but a prophet of God. And he literally was paid from a king, Balak, Moabite, to curse Israel. So that prophet of God was like going, okay, how much you pay me? So he takes some money, curses Israel, and God goes, I ain't going to curse them. It ain't going to happen. Well, actually, he took the money and said he was going to curse Israel. And he said, but I'm, going, I'm only going to speak what God tells me to speak. And he blessed Israel. So Balak, <laughs> Balak is going, I'll pay you. Here, here's 100 grand. Curse Israel. And Balaam goes, hey, all right. All right, I'll do that. But I'm going to only say what God says. Okay, he goes, Israel, you are the blessing of the Lord and you will overcome. And the, the king's going, what? Stop, stop, stop. And he does that a couple times. And then he's like going, dude, I'm paying you no more. But see, he knew he was a prophet of God because he's used his life and was prophetic and things would happen. So he knew this guy was of God. But it's so cool because ultimately the, the story comes down to this doctrine, and that is this. Balaam could not curse God's people, but he could teach Balak how to get them to compromise, which would destroy them. That's what Jesus was talking about. He's saying, if you can get the people to compromise, I know pastor thing. I know the church. I know. I know where. And compromise, compromise, compromise. And ultimately what happens? Destruction. And that's what happened to Israel. Destruction in their lives. What they do? The men went to do what they should be doing. And that is destroy the Moabites. And Balak, Balaam taught Balak how to seduce them into their city. And so all these women went out, prostitutes, these priestess and seduced them in. They started eating food, having sex with all these prostitutes and thinking everything's fine. And see, the point is, is what happened is, is ultimately you look at the nature of flesh and you see these guys, this didn't happen in one day. It took them probably days and days and weeks to get there. And ultimately these guys are, 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 are being sucked into this, this pool on their lives. And then you start compromising. Well, no one's here. You know, our kids can't see. Our wives aren't here. And there's this compromise that goes on until they do what? They succumb to it. They succumb to it. And so that's the, that's the Balaam compromise and doctrine. Then you got the Nicolaitans. Those, it says, those who hold a belief that Jesus said, I hate. They, they hold on to. It's their instruction what they hold on to. That means they refuse to let go of something they know is wrong. So these guys were people that had this, well, we believe this. We believe this teaching, but we also believe this teaching. And this is what Jesus said. I hate this part. Why did he go extreme on this group and not the other? Because this group had one foot in both lives. This group was a group that promoted, we're spiritual, but we also can do this. And that's what Jesus said. It's, it's, it's so destructive in people's lives. And that is, again, the pure life of compromise. 
And so what did the Nicolaitans? You can be a believer, but compromise for the love of others. See, you convince yourself that me compromising is because I just want to show them love. I know I'm not talking to anyone right now, but I'm just sharing with you a thing that Jesus hates. Are you guys with me? You can do the world. Be inclusive. Love everybody. Accept everybody. Even what they do. But tell me what this society, this world is is preaching right now. This is exactly the Nicolaitan doctrine. You hear churches living this way now. Denominations that are abiding by this stuff. Being manipulated by society. It says here, they don't want to offend no one. No absolute truth. Toleration is spiritual. And never need for separation. Is that crazy? Even in your right mind, you know, man, you hang out with bad people, it becomes bad, right? I mean, even in your head, I knew that growing up. Hang around good people, I get my homework done, I get good grades. Hang around bad people, I don't do homework, I don't get good grades. I mean, that's, it was my life. Freshman, sophomore year, I was top, I was top of my class. Playing sports, all three sports, doing everything, loving life. Got in some friends, sophomore, before sophomore, junior, and all of a sudden, bam, my whole life went that way. I didn't stop doing the sport thing, but my school thing was like, well, I don't care about it. All because I got around different people. So here we have their lives where you live any way you want. Hey, God loves you. Live any way you want. And the problem is, is, The compromise is the issue. And when God says seed of Satan, I believe ultimately there's this spirit of pride that influences people to compromise their life. And I know when you're talking about Satan, for him to make his statements, it doesn't even make sense because he was the most beautiful and at the highest level of every angel. See, he already had the the highest level of creation. He was the worship leader of heaven. A beautiful, his beauty abounded. And then you think, how can you be in that position before God Almighty, who created you that way, and, and you want greater? Ultimately, it always comes down to here. Always. People that live a prideful life have a terrible self-worth. They always have to exalt, always have to exalt. And that's the only thing that promotes them. And what should promote you is how you see yourself. You can look up any psychological, psychiatry book on this area, and you're going to hear this type of message as far as when it comes to pride. And we don't want to live a prideful life. God resists the proud. Amen. So we want to live a life that's, that's right. If you remember Israel being delivered out of Egypt, everybody remember the stories on that? Moses, let my people go. And he tells, he tells Pharaoh, 
we need to go worship. We need to go out and worship. People need to go. And Pharaoh gives compromise number one and says, I'll let you go, but don't go too far. See, I'll let you do your Jesus thing, but keep, keep close view and touch of the world. And that's a lot of Christians right now is, is they don't want to get too far out. Don't be fanatical. Don't be overzealous for Jesus. Just stay close enough to the world. Just, get, just stay, I mean, draw the line. You can go out, but don't go out too far. And Moses, you know, ultimately said, that ain't going to work. Then compromise number two, Moses said, you know, we, we need to go. And then Pharaoh says, okay, go, but leave your kids. Just leave your kids and, and go and worship God. See, what I see and I have seen, and it makes me so sad, and I wish I never had to say this in, a, in church, but I've seen many, many, many parents, Christian parents, compromise their kids and leave their kids in Egypt while they're having their cool life and doing their thing in life where they're being exalted and promoted and look at me while their kids are in Egypt. The reason why it hurts is because I've seen it too many times. Because people get so consumed about things elevating their image. I'm telling you, ultimately, it always comes down to this. What should elevate your image is the love of God and that you are accepted. Good or bad, you're accepted. But hear me, Hear me. Don't compromise your children for your lifestyle. And that is a world system statistic that's happening predominantly in all families and sadly in the church as well. Remember, you became a parent. That means you have a responsibility that's above your needs and wants. All right, just sharing what the Lord says. The third thing, Moses says, no, we're not leaving our kids. Thank you, Jesus. The third thing was this. All right, Moses, you can go, but leave all your stuff here. Don't, don't take any animals. Just leave your stuff here. Go. You can take off. Take off as long as you want, but leave everything here. And what compromise is that? That compromise is the, 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 the ground of, well, I'm going to serve Jesus, but just in case, I'm going to make sure I have this. I need this safety net. I need this backup. Just in case, just in case, I, I, this job, you know, I, I'll live for Jesus, but just in case. And that's exactly what he did. He went those, those compromises. And each time, ultimately, Moses said, we're not going to compromise. We're going to do exactly what God's called us to do. And that's what I'm telling us today. Fathers, mothers, single people in here, kids, whatever. Our responsibility is no compromise in the things of God. Amen? Live life big, live life large, love people, experience, you know, the joys of being a, a, a testimony of Jesus around other people, laugh at things that are good to laugh at. I'm but once you compromise, you'll hear yourself laugh at stuff you shouldn't be laughing at or talking about stuff you shouldn't be talking about. And I'm not talking being judgmental towards someone. I'm saying you personally, you, your life. 
Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Those Joneses are bad people. <laughs> I still never looked up why was it the Joneses, but anyway, the point is, is you never want to become something lower than what you're supposed to be. Don't compromise your life. I've learned that I can be around people and I don't have to drink their beer or to act this way and they still love me. Now, I don't get invited to a lot of things, but it's not because I'm judgmental. It's because they usually hear me say, no, I'm not coming. <laughs> but the either way is this. Be the light and the salt. Be enjoyable person. Laugh, have fun. Excel in life, but don't compromise. Father, we thank you for the word. Thank you for the truth of the word of God. And this is a wonderful, wonderful time in our lives to be able to again, here we are in another year, another Father's Day. We had another Mother's Day. And I'm believing for moms to rise up and become great and, and become greater. And fathers to rise up and to become greater. And that we live a life of, of no compromise. And yeah, we've made mistakes. We've compromised in the past. But today's the day we're living right now. We're not focused in our failures in the past. We're not focused on the future that's unknown. We are recognizing that today matters and we're going to make the right decisions today and not succumb to doctrines or belief systems that'll rob us of life. We're just not going to do it. And those we need to get before and say, man, we made a bad choice. We, we did wrong, and we're just not going to live that way. We love you. We're going we're gonna to hang with you the right way, but we're not going to become something that we know is right, wrong. And that's all we do. Father, we thank you for making a stand in your word for our lives by telling us the truth. And we now will hear your word and do it, accept it, because we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Love you guys. Happy Papa's Day! Thanks again for listening. To hear more encouraging messages just like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you loved what you received, please consider rating it and sharing it with your friends and family. For more information about Love Life and getting connected with us, go to lovelife.church. We love you and are believing God's best for you.